0: the Equity Roundtable by Equity Education Associates with Dr. Reggie Wicker, Dr. Janice Kitchings, and Ms. Lisa Piazzola. This is a place where we engage in critical conversations about creating equity in education. It's time to disrupt the status quo. Join our conversations with equity thought leaders around systemic inequities in education and get ready to act. I am Ramona Brown, your host. Veronica Primus is my guest. Ms. Primus is a lifelong learner, literacy educator, and activist. Currently, she is a literacy coach at H.B. Rame Elementary School in Richland 1 and is the director of the Stronger Thread Network a community-based organization that focuses on African-American heritage, educational events, and activism to build and celebrate the pride and strength of the community. Their model is weaving diversity into unified hosts. So hello and welcome Ms. Veronica Primus to the Equity Roundtable. Could you tell us about the Strong Thread Network? Why did you create this organization and what events are happening within the community?
1: Okay, well, thank you so much, Ravona. I am privileged to be here with you and thank you for having me. Um, the Stronger Thread Network started with the Strong Thread Festival. Um, we started 12 years ago and Hopkins in the lower Richland community. As an educator um, over the years, I saw a great need to teach and educate others about African-American heritage and culture. And so every um, Black History Month, I would always do something wherever I taught school. And I was working at Gadsden Elementary in Richland 1. Mm-hmm. Back in 2002, 2003, and uh, putting on Black History programs. And I found that the parents would come, like, we'd have 100% attendance from parents mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the community. And people in the community would come to the programs, and they were just so happy. And they would say, We need more of this. So then I said, Well, why not do it in the community? where more people could uh, learn. And then I met uh, Carrie White, who's a member of the Barber family. And so they were in the process of restoring the Harriet Barber House, hmm. which is off of Lord Richland Boulevard. It is the, uh, one of the few remaining homes uh, built by free slaves. And they, that was their 40 acres in a meal and they kept it in the family.
0: Wow, so she said, "Well, why
1: not have something on the grounds of the Harriet Barber House because we're trying to bring attention to the its historic significance, and so that's how we started with the Strong Threads Festival."
0: Okay, well, that is a great way to um, not only connect community but also connect some rich um, history and heritage. Yes. Very, very interesting. So you've seen um, many well-intended initiatives come and go over the years. Why is community investment and involvement critical?
1: I think it's absolutely critical because schools cannot do it alone. Mm -hmm. If you're not, if the community does not support the efforts of the school and the school support the community, then you're not going to have sustainable progress. Mm. You know, I've I've been in education now for 47 years. Wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. And taught in many different states and many different schools. The one factor of a high-achieving school is a strong community sure unfortunately most of the schools uh that's predominantly african-american the communities are not very strong and that is something that i hope to address through strong because i believe that you know for example ramona you're gonna have to tell me if i say the wrong thing (laughs) (laughs) um I went to, I left South Carolina when I was 12, Uh and uh, from a very segregated South in the 60s to New York, Brooklyn, New York, and I was placed in uh, schools that we had to integrate. First, I went to the ghetto schools, the so-called ghetto schools in the poor community, Uh and they were just barely struggling in junior high school. And then we had integration. I know this is before your time. Mm -hmm. In 1965, with the mandated integration, they chose honor students from the poor schools and shipped us to the majority white schools. Mm. Uh, Not just majority white, but upper class. Mm. So we went from being poor little brown kids and black kids to uh, schools where the children were children of doctors and lawyers and college professors. Matter of fact, the school I went to, Midwood High School, was right next door to a, a Brooklyn College. Hmm. So a lot of the children of those professors went there. Okay. So now, this is a little girl from South Carolina, Jasper County, one of the poorest counties in the state. yes. Um, when I went to the school in Brooklyn, they put me into special ed because they said any black child from the South must be retarded.
0: Wow. Yep. So I was in the the special ed
1: class Mm -hmm. for almost a year, and I was so culturally shocked. Of course. That I wouldn't talk. Just like my Angelou, I just kept my mouth shut, and they figured I was really retarded because I wouldn't talk. hmm hmm And I was just shocked because there were these big kids in a classroom, and I didn't realize they were overage. They had been re- uh, retained so many times in sixth grade that they were like 17, 18 years old.
0: Oh, my
1: so I would just sit there and do my work and I said well maybe this is just the way New York is you know I don't know
0: you didn't know you were a child
1: yeah. and my mother didn't know we didn't have anything about there was nothing called special ed right. in, in Jasper County everybody went to the same classroom huh. that was true inclusion mm-hmm. back then so I took a teacher uh, a Jewish teacher white teacher Mr. Harwitz. I always remember him Mm -hmm. He said, you know, you don't belong in this class. So he had me tested. And because of him, I went straight from special ed to honors. Mm. And I really wish I could find those test results. I don't even know what test it was or what. But I know that the next day, they packed me up and walked me down the hall to another classroom. And then they were normal children, more looking like, you know, my age. And so, and I became a special ed teacher because of that uh, and and, subsequent years uh, because it takes a teacher to see children to make a difference. So anyway, that's why I know community makes a difference. The community around that school in Brooklyn, the middle school, Mm -hmm. um, drugs, uh, gang activity, you know, significant... Problems in the community. And then when I got shipped to the majority of white school, professional people, you saw parents at the school every day. Mm. The teachers would talk about the parents not uh, doing this, and then they couldn't do that because the parents would do this. I said, oh, so parents make a difference. Mm. And they would say to us as children, oh, you got to represent the community Oh, you got to dress a certain way. You got to. So the standards were high. Mm -hmm. So I lived the experience to know the strong community makes a strong school.
0: Absolutely. Okay. So um, when we were talking about investing in the community it made me think about usually when people hear the word investment they think automatically about finances so tell me how the strong threat network in invest in communities besides the festival or okay the thank festival.
1: you for asking that we um the festival it takes a year to pull together mm-hmm. and what i do is identify Um, people from the community, not just Laura Richland, but we had people from throughout the state who had skills, who Mm -hmm. had knowledge to share. That doesn't, um, that's not commonly known. Mm -hmm. For example, I had um, Audrey Smalls. Audrey was a curator where she is, she curated um, artifacts on African-American history over years. She was a retired educator. Mm-hmm. And she had hundreds of artifacts that told the story of African-Americans' contribution to science and uh, health and literature, the inventors. Mm-hmm. And she had all this stuff in her home. Now, she would go periodically to display her things at schools. Mm-hmm. And when I found out about it, I said, now, why aren't you telling everybody? Because it was amazing what she had done.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, It was her wax museum. We call it her, well, the Blacks in Wax, similar to that. But she had them in nice cases and she invested a lot. So then she became a fixture every year to show her finds. And the people were awed by it because she would tell a story about everything. Like if it's somebody who, um, you know, whatever they invented, she would find that little artifact to represent that and put it in like little toys. Mm -hmm. The children, oh, they were so fascinated. And they would remember what she would do because she was enthusiastic about it. Um, She would talk about them like... uh, you know, Crumb who invented the potato chip. Uh-huh. A yes. black man invented potato chips. And so she'd have a bag of potato chips there and the children would say, what is that? Why is that there? Then she'd tell them the story. Uh, she'd tell the story she'd have a traffic light there for Garrison.
0: Yes. Um,
1: so all the famous invent, a lot of inventions I didn't know and a lot of people didn't know about but she would research this and she'd find these artifacts and she'd have her Uh, museum.
0: So we would have
1: her. And so we did that for over 10 years um, when we were physical. (laughs) We were virtual this year. Okay. And then uh, talent, the youth. I would look for youth talent from the schools as well as churches to say, do you have somebody that we can showcase and include in the event? I would try to get a name star to attract people to the event, uh, but mostly for local people from the state, okay. African drummers, dancers, uh, artists, mm-hmm. storytellers, so I've had hundreds of people throughout the years.
0: Wow, it sounds like um kids had a an interesting um interaction with history coming to life and also showcasing talents within the community. Yes. Okay. So um during um this time I'm gonna shift gears a little bit because of course we're um in the middle of a, a pandemic and that changes dynamics quite a bit. Um What are some ways education can um, address and teach well during this time of social um, injustice, unrest, and um, during a pandemic?
1: Well, I believe that we must take time to build relationships. And this is so perfect. When I hear some teachers complain about the parents, uh, the virtual school, but you have their attention. Now is the time. You have their undivided attention. Mm -hmm. Whereas before, it was so difficult reaching parents. They don't return phone calls. They won't come to meetings. But they have no choice right now. Right. In many cases, you must educate the parent along with the child. And think about what those families are going through. Mm -hmm. We have to be more sensitive to the emotional needs of the families. Uh, Content cannot matter as much as it used to. The children will learn. I believe they will learn, but they got to feel good. You have to allay the fears and anxieties. You have to engage the parent along with the child.
0: Absolutely. That goes back to, you know, um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Um, Yes. You know, that safety and security is essential for any human being to ascend um, during normal times, but especially um, during the pandemic. Um,
1: That's correct. You are right. Go back to the basics. Maslow's is
0: perfect. Yeah. Yes so um thinking about um this time that we're in again um and the importance of community organizations what do community organizations need at this time
1: uh they need to be brought into the ta- on to the table um i don't see that it may be happening somewhere but i don't know I believe that we have not served the parents correctly enough. Mm-hmm. Um, we've, we've thrown a bunch of stuff at them. Here, take this device. Here, this is what they're supposed to learn. Here, you you need to punch these buttons and do this. Mm. Um, have we honored the parents of what they're going through enough? I don't think so. And I've met with several groups of parents and all they, they complain because they don't understand. Yeah. And they lash out because they're afraid. Mm. They want their children to learn, but they didn't go to school to be teachers. You hear um, actors and actresses, but they talk about their homeschooling. Mm-hmm. They don't like it. They don't want They said, please, teachers, we honor you. We respect you now. Yeah. They don't want to bother with that. And now here we are expecting them to decipher and decode all the procedures that we have. So we need to do more with educating the community. And if we work with community groups, they can reach the parents. Churches. Maybe we need to talk to the churches Mm -hmm. and um, have them reach people because... Uh, educators, we have a um, uh, let's see what's the word I want to use. It's sort of um, a mystique. Uh, you have a rep, we have a reputation of not being very nice to parents, okay? Mm. And parents are afraid to talk, especially if they've had a bad experience with school. Yeah, themself as very children. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When you say teacher, automatically they become. Defensive. It's like a defensive um, thing where, oh, she's a teacher. Oh, I, I can't. I'm. I don't speak right. I mean, I may say the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. But if a preacher, a local person in the community that they used to, because mm-hmm. every community has those unwritten heroes, those untitled uh, people that everybody t- listens to. Yes. They need to reach those parents uh, right now. I was talking to an educator today, and she was saying the mom could not read.
0: Mm.
1: The teacher was getting very frustrated trying to explain the the platforms and the software, and she couldn't understand why does this mother not? And the mom was too embarrassed yes. to say something. So then. Um, What do you do? So you have to gain the trust of people so that they will admit what they don't know. And I don't think we've spent a lot of time doing that.
0: Well, you know, schools um, move at such a breakneck um, speed sometimes. And I I don't think that the um, public, general public, understands the pace at which um, schools move, especially in an elementary school, but it would do us all good to slow down um, and to show the sort of compassion that I've heard you um, describe that needs to be shown towards parents and students and teachers. Um, Right, because we're all in an uncomfortable, um, uneasy spot, a place where this generation here on earth has never been before. And so um, my way, my approach during this time has just been to extend others a little bit more grace. Um, yes. Yeah. So, how um, you you talked um, a little bit about how part how educators can partner with community organizations such as um, churches? How can um, they do that uh, to deepen students' learning?
1: Well, that would help the people at home with their children maybe have a better understanding of what the child is expected to do. Because I know right now a lot of teachers are complaining the children don't log on. They are, they might turn on the computer and actually walk away from it and not be there uh-huh. if there's not an adult there. Um, there are children missing where we can't find them because the parents have the child to be sent to grandma or, you know, to uncle, aunt, daddy's friend because mom has to work. So sure. If um, they need to understand that every day matters, they'll say, well, we we can do it two or three days. It's almost as if education is not that important anymore, Mm. and they don't have the conviction to stick to it. So it's important to, once they come together, to talk about the consequences of not being in that virtual space on a regular consistent basis even when the children get up they need to get out of the bed because many teachers say the children are still in the bed yeah. they turn on the computer from under the covers
0: oh my <laughs>
1: and uh yes and maybe you know understand uh, we called well you know i in the classrooms and visit them one child was asleep, and the mom was busy shaking him. Wake up! Wake up! Wake up! Then he's all his eyes are sleepy. So as the teacher was saying, go put some cold water on your face. Mm. <laughs> <No>. Wake up! <laughs> so you're dealing with all that, and so parents. They're struggling with their children. Children don't always listen and do what they're supposed to do.
0: That's true.
1: When the parent tells them to do That's true. So how much power does the teacher have? And so now they're seeing that, but to help parents understand the basics, what's needed, how to support their children on per grade level, mm-hmm. because every grade level has its own, Challenges,
0: right, right, yeah, and and expectations. So when, yes, when I hear you um, talk about the need for um, community and school partnerships, you know, um, a lot of a lot of the burden, I'll say, falls on um, the teacher's back. And let's face it, you and I have both been in the classroom and we know how many hours outside of the classroom is dedicated under normal circumstances. so as i think that the solution is more so in us coming together as a community of educators um, with those community organizations what would be some advice that you would give um, those outside of the classroom on how they can facilitate this partnership
1: if they would Well, you have parents coming forward one-on-one. And quite often, that doesn't move the needle.
0: Right.
1: Uh, Usually they come forward to complain or to, you know, over one child. But they really need to organize. And that's how the community groups, organizations, churches um, can help. And then let the parents come together and present their needs or their concerns. Mm. And then let that person come forward to the school.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: So if the parents would organize outside of the school, mm-hmm. and we're not saying organize, I'm not trying to um, encourage an insurrection.
0: Right, I understand. With
1: them, yeah, to find strength.
0: Mm-hmm. That's what
1: it is, to find strength within each other. Mm-hmm. So you know what? But then it's so hard because people aren't talking to each other yep. because of the pandemic. That's another thing. Yeah. And then churches are not even in session. Yeah. In most cases. But um, I believe with some guidance, the for example, a minister like my church is not. We're online. We're virtual. Mm-hmm. But if I went to the pastor and said, you know can we ask other members of the church if they're having this problem
0: mm-hmm. and
1: then someone go to this school and let's talk about it? Um, that would be a good first step.
0: Sure, absolutely. And then you have
1: school officials maybe more willing to listen or even just go to your board representatives
0: mm-hmm.
1: and have that person bring the concerns to the board or to the superintendent um, because people, you, you know, you don't want to attack you no know, one person, it's not like an attack, right? But who, um, for example, when this thing first started, they didn't have devices for pre K and kindergarten, mm-hmm. but, okay? So, how were they going to do their work, right? You know, eventually they did. And then thanks to the school district for making that possible. Mm-hmm. But if it, I think other districts, not every district is able to do um one-to-one as Richland one is doing. Yes. So then how are the parents managing in those districts? You know, I don't know.
0: Mm. Yeah. I, um, I've talked many times with people about the inequities um, that have been highlighted or uncovered. Um, Because of the pandemic and um, that what you speak of um, speaks to the financial inequities um, within the education system that either allow some communities to have access to resource and others not to. Um, well thank you so much for taking the time we are, are at the wrap up stage um, and so what I'd like to do is um, give you an opportunity to give us give our listeners something to think about
1: okay well the, the word strong threads come from a quote by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in his book Letter from the Birmingham jail in 1963.
0: Hmm.
1: He said, Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. This quote has been with me all my life, ever since I learned to read
0: Hmm. well.
1: (laughs) And it just speaks to me through all of the issues of the times from the civil rights movement, through um, everything that we've experienced up to the present time, even more so, we tend to forget that we're all in this together. And so, looking at that quote, that tied in a single garment, that means that each thread has to be strong to make a strong garment. So, that's how I came out with it, and, um, you know, I've talked to other people, other people who have contributed to the ideas, but that's where strong threads come from.
0: I and love that. to
1: ignore... The needs of a group of people for example our children of poverty Mm -hmm. our children um, from broken homes and it doesn't matter what race but when you ignore pieces of our society of our community then you will have a weak garment a weak community
0: Mm -hmm.
1: so why not invest as you said earlier, invest in the individuals who can become stronger and contribute to a better community. And children are the foundation. That's where you start.
0: They're the new beginning, right? Yes. And so if we start by strengthening them, it uh, strengthens the whole garment, as you mentioned. Yes,
1: that's right. Because as they grow up, like I said I've been working now in education for 47 years so I've seen several generations grow up yeah and when I see the young people that I've worked with a long time ago I may not remember them but they remembered me as a teacher mm-hmm. and they'll tell me what I said that they have always kept in their hearts or their minds and I may not remember that mm-hmm. but they, and I'm proud of that um, You should and they be. Be, the adults we we work with today so start with the children and
0: that and that's your legacy legacy um, so yeah. I always like to end the podcast with a, a um, word association um, so I'll give you a word and just give me um, your initial thought or thoughts uh, around that word or phrase okay So, because we're the equity roundtable, the first word is equity.
1: Equity to me, did you want one word you said?
0: Uh, Okay. It's uh, whatever comes to your mind is fine.
1: Okay. Equal treatment under the law.
0: Okay. Community.
1: People coming together in peace and progress.
0: I love it, um, and the the last word is um, heritage. That
1: culture, um, inheritance. It means that's a heavy word to me. Um, I almost want to give an essay on that one <laughs> <laughs> because it's it so important. Your heritage is so important in history has not treated us fairly. Um, To be true to your heritage, to know your heritage, is where your strength comes from.
0: Yes. And that
1: goes for all people, Native Americans, um, Mexicans, uh, Scandinavians, Germans, Mm -hmm. we all have a heritage to be proud of. And if we can only be taught a true historical account. We will have a better, stronger people.
0: Excellent, and it sounds like through the work of Strong Threads, um, that is the legacy that you will leave. Um, thank you once again. All right,
1: Ramona, it's been a pleasure. Thank. You.
0: Thank you for joining me. For another episode of the Equity Roundtable by Equity Education Associates with Dr. Reggie Wicker, Dr. Janice Kitchings, and Mrs. Lisa Piazzola. We have had the pleasure of hearing Veronica Primus, Director of the Stronger Threads Network, as she in- encouraged us. To disrupt inequities by using our collective voices to speak for our most vulnerable youth. Join us next time as we will be talking with Miss Merritt Jones, a senior at UNC Chapel Hill, who is lifting students' voices through an organization called Student Voice, an educational equity nonprofit. Until next time, find a way to disrupt the status quo.